0: I want to minister to you from the book of Nehemiah today because our time is a little bit limited. We want to jump right into this today. Father, we ask that you would bless the Word of God today. Open every heart. Open every heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think I could uh, safely say for those of us who have walked with the Lord. There have been times in each of our lives when we had the burden of the Lord, and I don't mean like a burden of cares and worries, but a a burden the Lord would put for a calling, a ministry. Or or you've experienced that sense of desire. God put a desire in your heart of something that you felt like God wanted to do in you, for you, and through you. But the, the, the issue was... You didn't know how he was going to do it. So in other words, Lord, I know that you, you, I feel like you want this to happen, but, but how are you going to work your plan out? How are you going to answer this prayer? How are you going to get me from point A to point B? And in Nehemiah chapter two, this is exactly where Nehemiah is. As we remember last week, Nehemiah received this overwhelming burden for the walls of Jerusalem, for the people. Walls were broken down, walls were were burned. Nehemiah wanted to go make a difference, but he didn't know how it would happen. He was a cupbearer. How is a cupbearer going to get from Susa, 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf, all the way to Jerusalem? How's that going to happen? Today, in this message, I want to title this message, How God Works. You know, God's at work? We'll look at how he works. And in the message, we're going to discover how God worked out his plan, how God put the pieces of the puzzle together for Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem and be the great wall builder. And in looking at Nehemiah, in looking at how God worked in Nehemiah's life, we're we're going to discover some eternal principles. That God can work in our lives. And I want to, as we begin this message, I want to declare to all of us very plainly that whatever God's plan is, whether it be in your, in your personal life, in your family life, and in this Trinity life corporate family, God can work out his plan. God can get us to where he wants us to be in, in each of our lives. He can, he can connect the pieces together. The Bible talks about beholding the works of God. We're going to look back years from now when we're all old. Don't look at me like that. I'm not there yet. And we're going to say, remember how God did this and how God answered that prayer and how we didn't know when we were going to, how we were going to do this and God supplied it. The psalmist said this, many, O Lord, are your wonderful works, which you have done, Psalm 66, five says, come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doings toward the sons of men. What the book of Nehemiah is, the book of Nehemiah are the memoirs of of Nehemiah. His memoirs of how God worked, the difficulties he faced, the challenges he faced, the prayers that God answered, the battles he fought, the way that God built those walls, that's his story. But you know what? You can have a story because God is at work in your life. And, and we're going to have a story as a church as God builds his great work up. So let's consider this. How does God work? We'll read through a little bit in Nehemiah 2 as we go for time's sake. How does God work? Seven things I want to say about this, so I must say them quickly. Number one, first, God works uniquely. Hear that? God works uniquely uniquely. I will not take long on this, but I must address this because I've seen something happening in our modern day body of Christ that I think is very unhealthy. God works uniquely in and through each person. Therefore, are you listening? Therefore, we do not need to emulate others. By emulating others, in a sense, we erase our uniqueness in the sight of God and in the work of God and how God wants to use us. There is a lot of emulation going on in the body of Christ today. I don't need to figure out God's plan on YouTube. I can almost tell who someone's been listening to by the way they dress and even their speech patterns. It is actually a very strange phenomenon. You and I were born originals. Why would you want to die a copy? God is going to use Nehemiah, and God is going to use him like he's never used anyone. As I said, not long ago, I was in Jerusalem, and I looked down, and there were the walls. Nehemiah built those walls, but not just him. He could have never built it himself. It was everyone joining in, and we're going to see that today. Each each believer is a unique person in the sight of God. No two people are exactly the same. And God wants to express his manifold glory through you in a very unique way. When we emulate others, that means copy. We become play actors. We become copy artists. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. Instead of living a life, we're acting out a role. We're performing on a stage when we seek to emulate others. I'm going to touch on this. Because I was studying this week. I was thinking how unique God used Nehemiah. And then I asked myself the question, how can we fulfill our unique role? Your role is going to be different than my role. I'm the pastor of the church. Maybe you sing, or maybe you organize, or maybe you greet, or maybe you teach, or maybe you pray. There's 10 million things we can do to build this church. Be Your unique self. But what does it take for us to be uniquely used by the Lord? I'm going to give you several things. I hope you'll write these down and consider them. Number one, you need to accept yourself. This means discovering who you are in Christ and walking in your unique calling. Paul, the apostle, knew that he was an apostle to the Gentiles and stated it clearly and lived it out. Peter was the apostle to the Jewish people, and he stated that, knew that, walked that out, and the Lord blessed him. You need to accept who you are. Stop looking at everyone else, trying to be someone you're not. How does God work? God works uniquely. He worked uniquely in in Nehemiah's life. When we think of Nehemiah, we don't think of the Red Sea parting. When we think of Nehemiah, we don't think of the apostle of the Gentiles or King David. What do we think of? We think of a wall builder. Nobody had ever done that before. Why? You need to accept yourself. Secondly, you need to value yourself. Now, I've got to be careful when I say value yourself. Because we live in a selfish culture, I did not say overvalue yourself. But I said value yourself. Why? Because God values you. Do you know you're loved by God? You say, well, I don't feel so loved. Well, your feeling is broken. You're loved by God. Accept it. You can't do anything to get God not to love you. You're loved by God. Accept that love. You are a capable person. Every Christian has an anointing. Every one of these people are going to look at this one built here, and they list all these different names as you move on in this book. Each one was unique. Nehemiah was unique. Do you know you have a calling of God? You have a unique anointing and a role and a calling to fulfill in this church. You are capable to serve God. You're chosen by God. In fact, you're chosen by God to serve, serve him in a task. The Bible says we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works for which he ordained before the foundation of the world. You're, you're chosen by God. You need, you need to value yourself. Thirdly, you need to guard yourself. You need to build righteous walls around your life. And one of the things that we are, we are people that influence and we are people that are Influenced. We're influenced constantly. And the, inst- the enemy will do anything to mar the image of God in you. He wants to distort who God wants you to be. We see so many young people that are doing things and living lives that are completely opposite than God's will and purpose and the image He created for them. While the Im- enemy wants to mar-, uh, to mar that. So, one of the things you need to do, listen, you need to guard your companions. I'm amazed at how people dominate other people. I'm amazed at how some relationships squelch another person. And if you have a relationship with someone who dominates you, that is not a healthy relationship. Are you hearing me? If you're in a marriage and a wife so dominates, or a husband, I said wife, well, husband, so... (laughs) (laughs) almost made one of the biggest mistakes in my life there. <laughs> it's dangerous up in here. I saw, I saw these women like, what? what? But you've seen it. A man so dominate his wife that she's lost her glory. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that is. I can tell you, the woman I've been married to for almost 34 years, I could live without her and she could live without me, no doubt. She could be successful without me. That's the kind of woman she is. Why? I don't squelch her. I don't dominate her personality. And what happens is we're unique, and God wants us to be who we are in serving Him in all that we do. You got to guard your relationships. Let the deep fellowship of your life be with those who who accept you for who you are. I'm not talking about sin, but I'm talking about the unique, the unique you. I'm amazed at how we're. We're influenced. If you're around negative people, you're going to be negative. If you're around critical people, you're going to be critical. If you're around small thinking people, all of a sudden you've lost your vision. You show me your friends and I will show you your future. And then thirdly, you need to guard your mind. Yes, or next, guard your mind. Guard your mind. We need the church needs to stop thinking like the world. We need to stop trying to take the word of God, join it and amalgamate it to the thoughts of the world, and, and then we call it relevant. It's not relevant, it's worldly. I'm going to say that again, because you didn't catch it. I'm seeing too many Christian ministries, they take the thoughts of the world, the philosophy of the world, they try to join to the word of God, and they say, we're relevant. You're not relevant, you're worldly. You grieve the Holy Spirit. We're a unique people. We're the people of God, and we have a government. It's right there. There it is, right there. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. The Bible says this, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the things that are wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the mighty, or the things which are mighty. Uh chose uh, the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen, the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh would glory in his presence. How can a cupbearer become a great leader and a wall builder? Because God works in very unique ways. And then you need to guard your feelings. You need to feel good about what you're doing for the Lord. Too many people feel bad about themselves. You know, I know this didn't go too far. We've got egotism and narcissism. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about feeling good about the person that God created you to be. We need to know that we're loved by God. We're valuable. We need to feel good about who we are in the Lord. So here's Nehemiah, the cupbearer and a wall bear, builder, a unique person that God has called He's not a Moses to deliver, he's not a King David. Right. Nehemiah will be used in a unique way to rebuild the broken down walls of Jerusalem. And once again I say it, God will y- use you in a very unique way. Here's a great verse, Nehemiah 1.11, for I was the king cupbearer. God's going to do a great work. Right. Let's don't limit God. God works uniquely. Secondly, God works incrementally. Now we know that in our own church, we know that in our own lives, Look at how God works. Chapter 2, verse 1, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan. Now we have these date stamps, these time stamps in the word of God. We mentioned in the first chapter that something happened, this burden comes, all this stuff begins to happen. And some time has passed. You In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king, I'd never been sat in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? It's just nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And the king said, and I, and, and, and I said to the king, may the king live forever. I mean, you don't want to be grumpy in the presence of a king. He may think you're trying to take him out and take you out. You know, we in America don't understand that whole king process. But most of the world lived like that for a long time. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs lies wait, and the gates are burned with fire. The king said to me, what do you request? So, the, so I pray to the God of heaven. And he prays a quick prayer. You ever prayed a quick prayer like that? Like something happened at work and you go, Jesus, help me. Well, this is one of those Jesus help me moments here. And he said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting next to him, and by the way, By the way, this queen sitting next to him, this would have, or this king would have been the stepson of Esther. Am I right there? Check me on that. Check me on that. We're studying as we go here, okay? I'm not stating that as a fact, but I think this king, Artaxerxes, was the stepson of queen Esther. She says, how long will will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. Look at me. God works uniquely. God also works incrementally. Now I realize we serve a God of miracles. Let's don't ever doubt that. We serve a God that can do things instantaneously. The Red Sea parting wasn't, it wasn't this kind of 40-day deal. It parted. Come on. Jesus healed blinded eyes immediately, lamely. I know all that, but I'm talking about the process of God putting the pieces together in his plan for our lives and for the work of the Lord. Very rarely have I seen God take us, take anyone from A to Z. They're, they're normally, you know, normally you don't get all the details. Normally you get a burden. I feel like God wants us to build a church. You get a burden, How's it all going to come together? I don't, I don't know. We don't know if we're following you, pastor. But that's how God has always worked. God said, to, God said to Paul, come over. He sees the vision. Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's it. No details. He just goes. And that's normally how God works. He doesn't give you all the details. He normally comes to us incrementally. Notice how God works in Nehemiah's life. First of all, in the first chapter, he talks to his brother, And he hears about the conditions of Jerusalem. Then, after hearing that news, the Holy Spirit works in Nehemiah and he receives this tremendous burden from the Lord, which drives him to fasting and prayer. And remember, I told you about the time stamp? Guess how much time has passed now? Four months have passed now. Do you think God wanted the walls built? Yeah, more Nehemiah. What's God doing? He has to wait because what God is incrementally working out his plan. Four months pass between chapter one and chapter two. And then one day he's standing in the presence of the king, serving him his wine, his food. And all of a sudden this moment takes place. And the king notices that he said, can I tell you this? When you have a heart for God and a burden for God, it's not something you can turn on and off. It's not an act. It's not an act. It's not a role that you play. It comes from your heart. And Nehemiah couldn't hide it. He loved the people of God. He loved the city of Jerusalem. It broke his heart that the walls were broken down and there was disgrace among the people of the Lord. He couldn't hide it, and the king noticed it. And it was through that kind of sincerity, of genuine heart burden, that, that God puts a God gives authority through the king and says, You can go. Now, our tendency is to think that nothing's happening. You got a burden from the Lord. You've been praying about it. Maybe you like Nehemiah, have been fasting about it. Nothing's happening, you think, but you're wrong. You're wrong. The Lord is at work to build. The Lord is at work to redeem. The Lord is at work to build something for his name. Philippians says this, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will complete into the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works. It is God. I'm talking about how God works. It is God who works. Say that with me. It is God who works. What? In, in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. God works incrementally. Just think about it. You can go through your Bible and you can see this over and over again. Paul's ministry. The Lord saved him on the Damascus road. Several days later, he meets Ananias. Receives healing and receives the Holy Spirit. He, he preaches a brief sermon. He starts his ministry. Then he goes three years to Arabia and receives the revelation of the New Testament. He, then later he goes to uh, Jerusalem, meets the, uh, the original apostle, shares his story, and then throughout the years, he goes on three great missionary journeys. Didn't all happen at once. The revelation didn't happen at once. But it happens as we walk the plan of God out incrementally. Friend, do you know God's at work for us? He wants us to be faithful and to pray and to fast and believe. And what we're going to see God do is incrementally build Trinity Life Church and many souls will be saved to the glory of God. God's at work. What do we need? We need patience to wait upon the Lord. Now, how does God work? He works uniquely. He works incrementally. Thirdly, he works, thirdly, by giving us favor. He works by giving us favor with God and favor with man. Do you know we need favor? None of us in this room are smart enough to figure it all out, but I know there's a God that can give us favor. Now look at the favor. Chapter 2, verse 8. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber... To make beams for the gates and the citadel which pertain to the temple, for the city wall, for the house that I occupy. And the king granted me, ac- notice, the king granted me according to the good hand of God upon me. But it says it again, verse 18. And I told them, this is, now he's in Jerusalem, and he's communicating the burden. And I told them, of the hand of God, which has been good upon me, and also of the king's words, which he spoke to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. Twice in this chapter, Nehemiah mentions the good hand of God. Nehemiah knew that he needed the favor of the Lord. In fact, if you look back in verse chapter one, verse 11, when He was praying for this favor. Chapter 1, verse 11. Oh, oh Lord, I pray, let let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. Notice, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray. Notice, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Grant me mercy, grant me favor. In the sight of this man, who's this man? For I was the king's cupbearer. Now listen, God can grant us favor. Favor means this, to look kindly upon someone or treating someone with special regard. Now I think I know about you, but I know about me. I want to walk in the favor of God, and I want to walk in the favor of man. Samuel walked in the favor of God and man. The Samuel grew in stature and in in favor both with the Lord and men. Daniel walked in God's favor, one nine of Daniel. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Genesis 39, 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Exodus uh, 231, 221, 321, I'm sorry, I'm gonna get it. And I will give this people favor. Say that with me. I will give this people favor. Do you want favor? Come on. Want favor? Come on. Let's pray right now. Lord, give us favor. Come on. Give us favor. Give give this Trinity Life Church people favor. Give us favor with you and favor with man in this city. Notice what he says. Give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go out, you shall not go out empty-handed. They had so much favor. They were giving them jewelry. They were giving them gold. They were giving them all kind of things. Just get out of here. Now, think about this. I've seen the Lord bless my wife and I through the years. Let me, let me share a couple, couple little blessings. Years ago, I was in Missouri, Bolivar, Missouri. We were conducting a meeting there, and uh, Madison wasn't even born yet. Mackenzie was very, very small, and my oldest daughter, uh, which is 31 now, was, was also very young. So the two, Peyton, Peyton and uh, Madison, weren't even born, so that's how long ago it was. Peyton was leading here. She wasn't she here yet. So we were in Bolivar, Missouri, and we were ministering at a meeting. And I was at a table after the service over. I was at the table in the four year and I was talking with people. And a gentleman said, Where are you going next? And I said, Well, we're going we're to be going to Florida around the Orlando area. And so we talked a little bit. He said, Hey, have you ever been to Disney World? And I said, uh, Well, when I was a kid. And he said, You know, I'm a. One of my family members is an executive down there. Do you guys want to go to Disney World? Yeah. I'm talking, this is not real. And he said, I tell you what, I'm going to give you my number. When you get to Florida, call me, and I'm going to call him, and I'm going to get you in. Nah, yeah, I'm like, really? you kidding me. This is not real. So I had that number, and I was in the Orlando area. And we had, about, we had a week off, and so I was like, uh, I had this number, and I said, she said, I said, I don't want to call this guy. This may not even be real. And she was going, I don't know, should you call him? And I said, he told me to call him. He gave me this. I said, this isn't even real. So I called the guy, and I said, hey, this is, this is Brother said, Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been waiting for your call. He said, he said, uh, when do you want to go to Disney World? I'm like, well, I guess Monday, maybe. I don't know. He said, let me make a call. He called someone. He called me back. He said, "This takes faith." He said, I'll tell you what. You and your sweet little family, you go to Disney World. And he said, you just go up to the front of the line. He said, you're going to see a guy there with red hair. He'll wave at you. And he's going to get you in. I'm going, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I, listen, we, we didn't have very much money. I couldn't have got in myself. So I'm like, if this doesn't work, I'm just going to have to go back home. We went to Disney World, walked up there to all the, oh, you know how it is if you've ever been there, it's just like packed out. There was this guy up there going, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. So went up there, he said, hey, how are you doing? And I shook his hand. He had this badge, I don't know what it was. He had this badge, he said, let these folks through. He zipped that badge, he gave us some stuff, he says, you guys enjoy. And he said, in fact, once you come back tomorrow, you can do it again. I don't even remember that guy's name. And, and in that time, you could, you, you, uh, in that time, you could have three passes. You go any of the parks in one day. I think now they let you go like to one park. We were just going everywhere. And the next day, I said, you want to do it again. Yeah, let's go. Went back next day. That guy was there. Yeah, he just had let these folks through, scanned his badge, gave us things, and, and I'm like, how many call that favor? Come on, Amen. <laughs> how many want favor? Now, that only happened once, but hey, I'm still, it's, it's still my story, amen? But isn't that cool? At a table, somebody knows someone. God can put all that together. God knows how to bless you. Yes, he does. The blessing of the Lord. Come on, there's nothing wrong. Come on, there's nothing wrong with being blessed. Yes, and so I got a little blessing this week. A businessman, he said, let's go to lunch. I said, okay, yeah, praise the Lord. Let's go to lunch. Love this brother. So then I got got in the car and he said, hey, let's go over to the mall. And I said, why? He said, you'll "You'll see. Went in Dillard's. He said, I want to get you a sport coat. There it is. He said, get you a tie. Get you some pants. I said, thank you, Jesus. How many call that? Blessing and favor. Come on. Do you know that God can give us favor? God can bless us. He knows what we need. He knows how to get to us. Nothing can stop the Lord from getting his blessing to us. And I can tell you this, if we'll love each other and love God, blessing is on the way. Come on, to Trendy Life Church. Come on. Blessing is on the way. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. How many of you love blessing your kids? We just want to bless our kids. Nobody gives to their kids and feels, we feel great. We love it. How do you? How you know that God is a, is a better father than we are, men? Come on. Glory to God. How does God work? God works uniquely. God works incrementally, and God works by giving us his favor. He can give us his favor with the right people and get us where we need to be. Fourthly, quickly, God works by large and bold prayers. I want you to notice Nehemiah's prayer. King said to me, what do you request? This is verse four. What what do you request? So I prayed to God, the God of heaven. And then so he gets a word from the Lord, kind of a feeling. He says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, first thing is, I want to go to Judah, the city of my father's uh, tombs, that I may rebuild it. Verse six. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long are you going to be gone? He, he, he lets him know. And then he said, verse 7, furthermore. Everybody say furthermore. furthermore. I mean, we're, going to get, we're going to get a double blessing here. Yeah. Let me just tell you, too many small prayers going on in God's people. Too many small prayers going up in the prayer meetings. He said, furthermore, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the region, the river, to permit me to pass through and come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me the timber and make the beams and the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple, the city wall, and the house that I will occupy. Notice it says, and the king granted them to me. But what you'll you'll also notice in verse 9, that he gave them, and now the king had sent captains of the army and the horsemen with me. He said send me and give me some letters give me some timber. He said I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to give you a military escort. I'm going to give you some protection. I mean, you know, we serve the God of more than enough. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Nehemiah's request is bold. Send me to build the walls. Give me the supply that I need. And the king says, I'm with you. I'm going to send you some military men on steeds. Let's make large requests. Let's believe big. Let's believe that we serve a God who can do exceeding abundantly above all that we think, ask, or think. Here's the issue. Our prayers are small because our view of God is small. I'm going to say it again. Our prayers are small because our view of God is small. And because our view of God is small... Our faith is small and our faith is weak. Can I describe to you the God that we serve? The Bible says He is an all-powerful God. Jesus Christ our Savior said, but Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible. What with God, uh, not, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. For with God, all things are possible. We can build a building because all things are possible. If God can do it debt-free as he wants to, because nothing is impossible with him. Do you want, you know, think about the names of God. The names of God, Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, you know, Shammah, Jehovah, Tiskanu, Jehovah, Nisi, Jehovah, Roah, all these names. But, you know, and, and of course, the name of Jesus, isn't that the great name? Jesus. But, you know, one of God's names that maybe you don't even remember reading was God in might. That's one of his names. Look at this verse, Jeremiah 10.6. 10.6. 10, 10, 6. And Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and your name is great in might. His great in might. That describes it. It's great in might. It's the great name. It's great and mighty. He's a, he's a great and a mighty God, and no one can stop the Lord. Listen to what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, For the Lord of hosts has pur- purposed, or proposed, and who can annul it? His hand is stretched out. And who can? We'll turn it back. Who can stop God? If God says, Trinity Life Church, my will is to put a building on this, who's going to stop it? The greatest armies in the world can't stop it. Demons and devils can't stop it. Politicians can't stop it. When God purposes to do something, he can do it and none can stop him. What do we need? How does God work? Uniquely. How does God work? Incrementally. How does God work? Giving us favor. How does God work? He works through people who pray boldly. He works through us who pray mountains moving prayers. I say to you, mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea. And whosoever doesn't doubt in their heart, it'll be removed. That's mountain moving prayer. That's what Jesus said the power and the potential of prayer is. When you pray in faith, every mountain can be moved out of the way. Instead of speaking the mountains, we allow mountains to speak to us. Like the Israelites, he said, the giants are too big. The walled cities are too high. And their problem was this. They had a low, little, small vision of God. They needed to look up to the heavens. They didn't have the Bible we had, but they could have looked up to the heavens and said, the God I serve created the sun. He created the moon. He created the stars. He's spoken with the power of his word. What can some dumb giant stop us? No way. No way. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The Lord works through great and mighty prayers. i got to hurry. Number five. God also works by giving others the desire to share the work of ministry with us. Nehemiah had the burden. And notice when he went and shared it. Go down to the end. I won't read all that. Verse 18. I told them of the hand of God which was good on me. And also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said. So they said. So they said. They said, let us. They said, plural, let us, plural, rise up and build. And then they, plural, set their, their, plural, hands to this good work. You realize there's there's pastors that are struggling all over America because they're saying, I've got a desire to see revival. I've got a desire to build a church. I've got a desire to impact the city. And the people don't say, let us rise up and build. They don't set their shoulders to the work. And those preachers are dying. But I believe we've got a different breed of folks here. I believe that there's people here that your heart is saying, I'm ready, pastor. I'm ready to see God build his work. I'm ready for souls to be saved. I'm ready for lives to be changed. I'm ready for an edifice to go up that's going to proclaim Jesus till he comes. Let us rise up. God wants to share this burden with you. He wants to pour this spirit out on you that's on me. And he wants you to feel what I'm feeling. He wants us to share this work. As I read, as we started this message, uh, as started this service, it says, every joint and ligament supplies, every part doing its share. Jesus said, the harvest is great, but the labors are few. And Nehemiah 3.5 says, their nobles put not their shoulders to the work." There's always that kind of person you can be in the middle of revival and then you always have that one that's just the consumer knows nothing about giving etc giving in time and prayer but true growth and advancement takes place when God's people decide to rise up and do whatever it takes to build the church that's when advancement the church really begins to grow when the church not just the pastor not just the but the church says let us rise and build let us we have decided we're going to do whatever it takes to build this work, six, six, two more. I'll be quick on these two. God works in the midst of opposition. That's right. You notice in chapter two, it says when, when they, Nehemiah went and began to communicate with these governors, this Sanballat and Tobiah and the Ammonite, etc. they heard this. It displeased them greatly. And then in verse 19, it says that these Sanballat, Tobiah, and all these folks, they derided us. They despised us. I can tell you, there's nothing anyone's ever done for God that was easy. There's no winning without warfare. There's no opportunity without opposition. And there's no victory without vigilance. I'm here to tell you, there are challenges in the work of God. And there are multiple. You can read the book of Nehemiah and realize, challenges, multiple challenges coming from every way. But I want you to know, nothing can stop his work if we will trust him. The only thing that I see that can hinder the Lord is a lukewarm people who don't mind ha- living around broken down walls. God looks for people to work through. God's not going to work through a fence post. He's not going to work through the world. He's looking for someone to show himself strong through. And I, I find in scripture the only thing that can hinder the Lord is a lukewarm people who just don't care. The walls are broken down. They're burned. It's in disgrace. And they're satisfied with living and worshiping amidst, in the midst of that. But that's not us, is it? The Lord can remove any and all obstacles. And listen to me, I'm I'm closing. The Lord can provide a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That's what he said in Psalms. That's what he said in Psalms. Lastly, I close with this. I'll let this be our conclusion. Number seven. These are the seven principles the Lord gave me. You understand, I didn't get this out of a book. I did. That book right there. This is God's message the Lord spoke to my heart from this chapter. Number seven, God works for those who are willing to step out of their comfort zone. Nehemiah was willing to leave his comfort zone. I mean, it was comfortable. I mean, you're in the kings. I mean, you're the cupbearer. Let me tell you, you're, the, you're, you're in a comfortable place. You have comfortable quarters. You're, it's plush. I mean, it's blingy, blingy. Come on. Yeah, you're in, you're in the palace at Susa, the, the winter palace of Persian kings. One of the great losses, I want you to listen closely. You're going to be gone in just a moment. I want you to listen to what Pastor's saying right now. Can I hear an amen if you'll give me just a few more moments? One of the great losses in American Christianity is the cross. We have lost the cross. You say, what do you mean? Now, I don't don't mean that we don't talk about the cross, I don't mean that we don't sing about the cross. And I'm not saying we don't wear the cross. But I can tell you this, for the most part, in American Christianity, we don't embrace the cross as a way of life. We don't embrace the cross as a spiritual principle. Now, we embrace the cross for salvation because we don't want to go to hell, but we reject it in our daily lives. What do you mean? What do you mean, Pastor? Listen closely. We listen to the sacrifice of Jesus. We see him hanging on the cross, nails in his hands, his feet, the crown of thorns down upon his brow. We hear his cries, and we read in Philippians that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, and we're moved by that. We hear about Paul's great sacrifice when he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering in my time of departures at hand. And we go, wow, what a great man he was. But yet when it comes to taking up the cross, For us, in 2020, it's too heavy, way too inconvenient. We would rather have our best life now, which is nowhere taught in Scripture. The cross means pain, suffering, and sacrifice. That's what the cross means. My question to you is this. Is there any pain and is there any sacrifice in your Christianity? Ponder that question. Is there any pain in your giving? Is there any inconvenience? Do you inconvenience any part of your life to build the church of Jesus Christ? If not, you don't know about the cross. We leave comfortable houses to get in comfortable cars, to come to comfortable buildings. We don't want it too loud. We don't want it too hot. We don't want it too cold. Or we'll find another church. That attitude has permeated America. We know nothing about the cross. We sing about it. We preach about it. We wear them, but we don't embrace it as a principle of daily life as real Christian living. There has to be sacrifice for anything to be done. No church has ever been built without the members taking up the cross. Paul understood this. Listen to these shocking words, and I'm done. Colossians 124, on the screen, look at this. Paul said, I now rejoice in my suffering for you. I rejoice in my suffering to fill up in my flesh. What is lacking? What is lacking? What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body? which is the church. I don't know about you. That's a shocking. I mean, you come to me and you say, you're telling me, Paul, you're saying something lacking? Lacking in Jesus' hanging on the cross? Lacking in the blood flowing down and the suffering? What would, that's, that's the most efficient thing there ever has been. How could you write and say that they're lacking? What you gotta understand is this. Paul is not talking about suffering for salvation. It's not what he's talking about. Paul is talking about sp- spiritual suffering sacrificial suffering for the building up of the church. No amount of suffering that anyone could do could save anyone, certainly not ourselves. Only Jesus' suffering could save that. But I can tell you this, Jesus is at the right hand. He's not going to come and suffer down here. We have to bear the load to complete his suffering. And Nehemiah left his comfort zone to go and build the walls of Jerusalem. My question to you is will you leave your comfort zone to help build this church? Will you leave the safe places? Will you leave the convenient places to be a difference maker? I want you to stand with me, if you would, please. Somebody could take the piano, please. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just bow your heads. Close your eyes right now, please. Just begin to pray. Begin to, begin to ask God, what unique role you want me to play? Come on, come on, our time is limited. Lord, what unique role? How are you going to work in my life? How are you going to work, Lord, in the name of Jesus? What, what role do you want me to play? What, what, what calling do I have at Trinity Life? Am I a prayer person? Am I, am I a, 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 some kind of ministry of teaching or singing or something? Am I evangelist? Do you want me to go out and bring people in? Am my teacher, Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? Help me, Lord. How are you going to put these pieces together? We don't know, but we don't have to know the details because we know your heart, God, and you're, you're moving us toward a great future. The Lord said, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but give you hope and an expected, blessed future. But Lord, you're calling us to step out of our comfort zone to step out of our comfort zone in prayer. We pray 10 minutes, God said pray 30 minutes. You pray an hour, God said pray an hour and a half. Step out of our comfort zone in giving, giving till it's uncomfortable, till it's sacrificial, till we get in the faith zone where we have to give to trust you, to get out of the comfort zone of quiet and embarrassment. But step out to witness whenever and wherever God tells you to bear our cross. To fulfill the sufferings of Christ for the church. Lord, I know that no church was ever built without people sacrificing. No church was ever built without those who are willing to go the extra mile. To show up when everybody else could be home. Oh God, we're, we're, we're inspired by Nehemiah. What I think I'd like to do as we conclude this service... As our heads are bowed, if you're here and you just say, Pastor, I know this is very general, but I just, Lord, uh, Pastor Rather, I feel that God wants me to step out of my comfort zone. Let me see your hand. God wants me to step out of my comfort zone. I'm coming out. Come on. I'm stepping out of the comfort zone in the name of Jesus. I'm stepping out of my comfort zone to serve him and build this church in the name of Jesus. Why don't we lift both hands? All of us lift both hands. That's a sign of universal surrender. Would you just surrender all that you are to him? Lord, we surrender our church to you and our ministries to you. We pray that they would glorify you. We offer ourselves to you. We wanna step out from the comfortable places and we wanna pray those bold and audacious prayers, those mountain moomings, making demons shudder and tremble prayers. Because you are the great and you are the awesome God. Oh, come on. Now just worship him. Would you just, let's close with worship. Come on, lift his name up. We worship him. Let me hear your voice. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you. You're a mighty God who works marvelously. We want to behold your works, Lord. We glorify you. We bless you. We praise your holy name we bless you Lord come on let us be a place of worship we end with worship we bring worship to our Father Son and Holy Spirit we bring worship, we bring honor we bring glory to you oh we bless your name we bless the name of the Lord Jesus Christ hallelujah to the Lamb hallelujah to the Lamb Today, as we conclude this service, I want to once again just say how proud I am of each of you. It's an honor. It really is an honor to be your pastor and shepherd, your under-shepherd. We know that Jesus is the real shepherd. We're just under-shepherds. You're, you're a great difference maker. You really are. You're a great difference maker. God's building His church. These days are going to be so exciting. And the, the day that I'm longing for is the day that I can look into your face and see how excited you are to have a brand new building. You're gonna be so excited. I wanna see your face and see the happiness on your face. And that's not gonna be the end, that's the beginning. It's the beginning of a great revival that's coming. So Lord, today we surrender this service to you. We ask that you would prepare our hearts for a great mighty moving of the Holy Spirit. We want a revival that makes us more holy. We want a revival that makes us more loving. We want a revival that, that lost people are coming. to The broken, the bruised, are saved. Believers are baptized in the great Holy Spirit. And Lord, believers are finding their calling. And God's working uniquely in each of us. How grateful we are for that. And now church, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And if everyone accepts to say a hearty amen. amen, God bless you as you're dismissed.